G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the semi-final review edition. Two massive semi-finals played out Friday night, Saturday night. We're here to analyse them in full and graphic detail. As always, this podcast is proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, a very good afternoon to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. Well, big games, Finey. What would you make of them? Oh, before the football, happy Father's Day, Rowan, and to all the other dads that consume this product on Sunday. You know, interestingly, my wife views Father's Day as a shamelessly commercial sort of concept, probably inspired by the Valentine greeting day greeting card company. Yet for some reason, she thinks Mother's Day is has a worthwhile spot on the calendar. Can you can you go figure? Well I can. I can be very PC here and say I think that mothers carry the burden of uh, parenting as a rule and I think they deserve everything they get. So a very happy Father's Day to all the wonderful mothers out there as well. But anyway, what do you think of the footy? Look, uh, (laughs) it'd be very easy to say, what a brilliant game on Saturday night. And by comparison, Friday night's game sort of pales into insignificance. But that's not so because finals come in all shapes and sizes. And I'd like to sort of plant my flag and say, well done for long. You can only beat what's put in front of you. Indeed, well done, GWS, who even in that game showed the sort of character that saw them claw a spot in the eight. And I think we're going to have fun reviewing the Saturday night game because, well, quite frankly, there's enough to talk about to keep us going till next week's first bounce of the preliminary finals. Well, we're going to do that very shortly. Uh, I did mention our connection with Palmerbet, Finey, but uh, we have some other wonderful supporters of this podcast as well. Can you give them a quick shout-out, please? Sure. Well, no Palmers at Andrew's Hamburgers. If you like those sort of things, you're going to have to wait for pubs, I think, to reopen in Melbourne. But Andrew's Hamburgers continues on with their highest of high-quality burgers for those who are within the five-kilometre radius at the moment, as is prescribed in Victoria, or at least Melbourne. Get down there. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And that made me wonder, Rowan, if you lived 15 kilometres away, could you do an Andrew Hamburgers relay? Could somebody within five kilometres pick up an Andrew's Hamburger take it to their house, a friend, take it to their place, and then you pick it up from their house. I guess that magnificent bite, a bit probably colder off the grill, you'd still enjoy it, but you know what? Get to 144 Bridport Street yourself when the law allows. Just quickly. Brilliant Andrews Burger. 
I think theoretically you could, but as in any self-respecting relay, you'd have to be very careful not to drop the bat. And you'd be very lucky if your two previous relay members hadn't taken a big bite out of it anyhow, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. And our other wonderful sponsor that you mentioned. Well, there's something that can keep on being done because construction, though uh, reduced in numbers, is still happening very much on West Point properties. Nick Spartels and the team, boy, is it a quality house. Really beautiful appointments. Get online, West Point properties. Renos or rebuilds, Rowan. And don't forget also the best sports data analyst in the business, that is Stats Insider, another proud partner of the Footyology podcast. They work with more than 15 sports across the globe and they sample each sporting event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable and possible outcomes. Some wonderful uh, independent sporting journalism on their side as well. All free to use, so check it out statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. Well, two massive finals. We want to give them the depth that they deserve. So let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Friday night saw the second semi-final played in Perth at Optus Stadium between Geelong and Greater Western Sydney. The result... Mothballs for the GWS Giants and Geelong progressing to a preliminary final against Melbourne. The final scores, Geelong 15-13, 103, 35-point victors over the Giants, 10-8, 68. The goal kickers for the Cats, five to big Tom Hawkins. Power pack performance from him. Two to Cameron, two to Rowan. Two to Close, two to Menegola, singles to Radagalia and Smith. For GWS, two to Stone, two to Himmelberg, singles to Kelly, Lloyd, Hill, Mumford, Haynes and Ward. Uh, well, finally, wasn't one of the great finals this. Uh, pretty dour stuff in that first half particularly. Certainly opened up after that. I think a uh, total of 17 goals kicked in the second half as opposed to just eight in the first. But the common denominator right through was Geelong being in control. A slightly uh, slicker Geelong than we'd seen the previous week. Uh, It's not a win that will have people uh, falling over themselves to get on the Cats now as a flag fancy. But the bottom line is they remain alive. What did you make of this one? Well, you know, everyone's a critic and, you know, nine finals a season, we can't expect all of them to be gems. And, of course, we'll get on to the second game of the weekend shortly. By comparison, it's going to suffer. But Geelong need to be absolutely put on a pedestal. Look, I'm not sure whether they can beat Melbourne Rowan, but this is a team, another final series, another win in a final series, it's been going on for over a decade and they cop their whack, whether they don't win pretty, whether they uh, look slow, whether they're old. I tell you what, all four teams now are even heading into the preliminary finals. So great effort by Chris Scott and age, don't worry about it. Tom Hawkins, he was winning premierships for them over a decade ago and wasn't he fantastic fantastic 
on Friday night. In fact, I would say that's one of his great finals games because even before he hit the scoreboard in the last quarter to really put the game beyond doubt, Rowan, he was highly influential. Well, it's a phenomenal uh, era, this, isn't it? 11 preliminary finals now in 15 years. Quite remarkable uh, getting to the final four that often over a 15-year period. I think the thing for me about this game was that Geelong repeatedly answered the challenge. Every time the Giants looked like they were mustering something, uh, Giants got back-to-back goals early in that second quarter, made the difference three points. Geelong hit back with the next three. Um, second half, uh, the Giants getting that goal on the siren three-quarter time to give them a sniff. They then kicked three of the first four in the last quarter, closed the gap to 20 points. Was it a charge? Well, the Cats hit back with three of the next four. Um, and I thought their midfield really held sway. They had the more productive forward line. Some great individual performances too. And we really saw the importance of Zach Tui to that side, didn't we? I mean, we've talked a lot about Tom Stewart's absence and how costly that's been. And funnily enough, I don't, I don't think we talked about that in conjunction with Tui. That deprived them of a lot of run and rebound off halfback. And Tui was outstanding on Friday night with 31 disposals. Sam Menegola seems to be a bit of a barometer for the Cats. I thought he was great with 29 as well. Um, the room for improvement, no doubt. Probably the performances of Paddy Dangerfield and Joel Selwood, both relatively subdued. But that would give the Cats some uh, hope about where they can uh, pick up a few percentage points in terms of performance next week against the Demons. Yeah, that's a really good point, Rowan. But yes, they were subpar. That's the only way you can describe Dangerfield and Selwood. But they are champions with great deal of pride and you're right it is a room it is somewhere where they can improve markedly do they add somebody to the midfield well they have to because Parfit's injured Markle gee was disappointing in his last couple of games since along but he might be chastened and that would give him a couple of weeks or now probably a month to really think about his football future and what better place to set it right than in a preliminary final I want to go back to Tui Double-edged sword, this one, Roko. On Friday night on Footyology Final Siren, I did opine that having a look at Mitch Duncan's second game back from injury, do we worry that Tui could likewise have that sort of body soreness that you do get second up from a spell? But I think there's a greater concern. And that is, and you made the point just now, what a difference he made to a back line that was sorely lacking without Tom Stewart. He was the conduit out of the back line. You only need to look in that last quarter. When the game was still a little bit dicey, um, just a couple of his kicks and one particularly to Jeremy Cameron, I think it was, that was absolutely on the money. But he was so important, Rowan. Does that almost give a cheat sheet to Melbourne to say, you know what, let's start off by short-circuiting Zach Tui? Because if we can do that, how else do they move the ball out of the back line? Buse, Collegesny, Blitzavs, Henry, stout defenders, not all that mobile. So I am a little bit worried that that gives a real pointer to Melbourne to play a defensive forward on Zach Tui or 
somebody that can simply hold up his progress. Do you reckon that's the first place Melbourne, the first port of call for Melbourne's preparation? Yeah, quite possibly. It's a that's a really good point. I almost had the feeling, and it's always hard watching it off TV, but almost had the feeling too he ended up sort of creeping further up the ground to almost a de facto midfield role at times. So perhaps this might be the week where we see Chris Scott pull a few little tactical levers in terms of the uh, actual structure of that side. But uh, they're in it. They're a chance. And I have said this repeatedly. There's a lot of focus on the Cats' sort of slow, methodical brand of possession football, but they are capable of pulling the trigger when it matters too. We've seen them do it before at crucial times and uh, we saw them do it against Melbourne in that game they lost a few weeks back with uh, five goals in eight minutes and eight goals in the second quarter. So Melbourne certainly won't be taking an an opponent of this calibre and of this experience lightly. We should have a a chat about GWS because it's obviously all over for them, but I think they've come out of this season with a a new level of respect and you've made the point repeatedly and I think it's a good one. Uh, We've really changed our perception of GWS. We don't talk about the Ferrari anymore and the the bevy of, uh, you know, uh, high draft picks that they have to choose from. It's a far more blue-collar feel about this team. They did it really hard on the road for a long, long time. They had injuries left, right and centre, as per usual for them. And uh, they just found a way for most of the season after a pretty poor start to the season too. So a far more resilient GWS, I think, we saw in 2021. And uh, despite the fact they're out of it now, I think that will hold them in particularly good stead for next year. Owen 3 a regular run of injuries a team that was on the nose by the end of 2020, uh, having meekly surrendered a spot in the eight, finishing the way they did, Rowan. I think they get the report card of, what do you give them? B plus with the message back home that if this student continues on the path of that of 2021 and continues assiduously to follow the doing the tough things, the one percenters, the taking the road less glorious, the glory might come to them in a way that nobody expected. I think we're all really impressed by them. Let's just have a look at a couple of things that they have to address at season's end. The first of them is one that Coach Leon Cameron, and by the way, just very quickly, Rowan, I think Leon Cameron has... And particularly given that Alistair Clarkson is going to have a year off, <laughs> sort of waiting in the wings, maybe for Gold Coast or GWS, I think Leon Cameron has stamped himself as the long-term coach of the Giants. How do you feel? Oh, it's absolutely shored up his position. No question about that at all. Well, Leon Cameron said that he'll be talking to Toby Green at season's end. I think that's the first port of call, isn't it? Because we can say when a team has a tough run with injuries, that that's hard luck. You can only control what you can only control what is in your position to control. You know, the the disappointment that they would feel with Toby Green is immeasurable. So they start there, but then they look at this young back line and some of the youngsters in the midfield, the continued improvement of Hopper, they must be absolutely 
fussing at the seams for next year. They need to address their ruck position, but they've got plenty of choices beyond Mumford, don't they? Briggs, Flynn and Proust. So I think they are in a great position to springboard into a new-look Giants and maybe a premiership Giants that we never thought they would be. Now, I think the other thing I probably have to address again is uh, their skipper too, Stephen Cornelio. Um, it's a conundrum for them. Uh, he's a great servant and he's a great representative of that club, but unfortunately just seems to have nowhere near the impact he used to. And uh, I wonder whether they might um, consider a change in terms of the captaincy. As you say, Toby Green's the obvious replacement if they were to do that, but now you've got to wonder given that very costly suspension, whether that's an appointment they can afford to make. So interesting decision for the hierarchy at GWS to make. But uh, certainly for a side that missed out on finals altogether last year, it was a pretty solid performance from them backing up from that. And they'll go into next season in a much stronger position than they went into this season. All over for GWS, the Cats marching on to what should be a fantastic preliminary final against Melbourne. Well, that was the second semi-final played on Friday evening. And boy, did we have a cracker in store on Saturday night. The first semi-final, Saturday evening at the Gabba, Brisbane, the home side, up against the Western Bulldogs. Well, it always threatened to be close, this, but uh, it wasn't just close. This was one of the true finals epics. It was close the whole evening. It was dramatic. There was great football play. There was drama. There was controversy. There was elation, tears, heartbreak at the end. You name it, this game delivered it. An absolute epic, ultimately won by the Western Bulldogs by the narrowest possible margin. One point. The final scores, Western Bulldogs, 11-13-79, defeating Brisbane, 11-12-78. The goals for the victors, three to Bailey Smith. East Melbourne's finest mullet delivered the goods with a huge last quarter. Two deliberatore singles to Hannon, Johannesson, McRae, Norton, Shackey and Waitman for Brisbane. Three to Charlie Cameron on fire early. Two to Zach Bailey. Singles to Danaher, Fullerton, Lester, McCarthy, McLuggage and Robinson. Well, I'm going to give you first crack at this one, Finey. How do you sum up this game in a convenient little grab? Because there is just so much to talk about. With the, with the line, look, sorry, Brisbane, but there had to be a winner because this game had absolutely nothing, not even the final margin, to separate these two teams on performance, on response, on star quality, on finals credentials. For me, the pendulum has to stop swinging somewhere. And well done, doggies, first of all, to do it at Brisbane's home ground, which is certainly a fortress. An unlucky Brisbane not to be the team that heads into a preliminary final. So, gee, I hope history doesn't have us quacking on about straight sets for Brisbane and an era in which they miss the opportunity to play in grand finals, Rowan, because that would be not taking into account this game. How do you feel? Yeah, no, the same way. And when you remember uh, losing 
they lost that uh, semi against GWS two years ago. Uh, two fight, knockout finals now they've lost by less than a kick. So the gods certainly haven't smiled on them. Uh, just want to revisit that last quarter in, in detail because easy to forget now, uh, given it's all over, that uh, only less than four minutes, I think, uh, to play in the third term. The Bulldogs trailed by three goals and looked to be just about out of petrol and in all sorts of trouble. Uh, they got the last goal of the third quarter to Johannes and, and then probably the crucial period of the game, three goals in the first eight minutes of the final term. McRae, Shackey, a goal set up by Bailey Smith, who proceeded to kick two himself in that final term. There were some chances missed by Brisbane. McCarthy missed one. Um, Harris Andrews missed one. Uh, it went back and forth. Tom Fortin kicked a goal to uh, reduce the Dogs' lead to one point. Smith again with uh, just over two minutes left on the clock, an incredible angle goal on his left foot. Six points then. And Zach Bailey running into an open goal for the Lions. That goal coming at the 32-minute mark, levelling the scores. A minute 14 left on the clock after that goal, a crucial final settle bounce and uh, perhaps a controversial free kick paid to Tim English, the ball going forward, and Latham Vandermeer managing to scramble a point which proved to be the difference in the end. I want to ask you now, uh, just on that controversial free kick, do you think it was there? No. Well, I've got to say, I do. I uh, admittedly having a look at it in replay, but I think if you do, you see that McInerney actually does run past the ball with eyes only on English and gets his knee up there. So it looked to me to be a legitimate block. However, uh, sorry, an illegitimate block. However, we've seen those sorts of things go unpunished. So it was certainly a critical time to call a free kick. Yeah, all right. That's what I should say. No, no, Rowan, you've summed it up perfectly, actually. Yeah, of course it could be a free kick. Plucking free kicks out of ruck duels, especially that one, is just... I, I think it's madness, honestly. I think it's an umpire who stuck his finger in the pie when he shouldn't have. But as you describe it, I reckon we could slow down most ruck duels and find something. Well, what, um, what do you make of the, uh, of the umpiring generally? Because uh, there was a lot of disquiet about it. The free kick count in the end, 19 to Brisbane, 28 to the Bulldogs. I think a lot of people seem to think the Lions got the rough end of the pineapple. Did you think that was the case? Not necessarily. Look, there were key decisions that were <laughs> just annoying. How about that free kick against Caleb Daniel for an intentional out-of-bounds, Rowan? That was a shocker. It made me think that anybody that has a shot at goal, let's say you have a shot at goal from 50 out and it bounces and it misses everything, goes out of bounds, well, that must be intentional because you didn't try and keep it in. Well, we've what? seen that. We've seen that pay, That got paid against Cameron Zerhar in a game earlier this year. So <laughs> well, there you go. It's I not mean, about deliberate out of bounds anymore. And, and that Caleb Daniel decision is the definitive proof of that. So they might as well just abandon it and, and make it last touch. Well, that, that almost was the case because what he did was absolutely out of that's the coach's that's the coach's direction manual. Anyhow, look, how about the 50-metre penalty to Keith? Yeah. 
they didn't take advantage of it. But nevertheless, let's get back to the game. I don't mind the free kick count, by the way. I, I think we both agree that the numeric isn't the question. It's about the decisions. And boy, oh boy, uh, look, we'll get to that last quarter. But how about the way Charlie Cameron started the game, Rowan, and the Bulldogs' ability to pull back not only the task for Eastern Wood, but also the way that the ball was getting into that Brisbane forward line. Well, I think they were fantastic from three uh, from quarter time onwards in making it more about the midfield and less about the run off the back line. Because if that was going to happen, if it was going to be free-flowing, I'm sorry, the Brisbane Lions would have won that game. Their forward line far more potent for mine. Well, I've got to say, I am feeling pretty pleased with myself about my preview of this game. I, I tipped the Bulldogs by two points, so one by one. But we did talk about how critical the midfield battle was going to be. And I feel like the Bulldogs holding sway there probably tilted the scales in the finish, only marginally. But um, I couldn't help but notice this about that dramatic last quarter. And we cannot do a review of this game without talking about Jack McRae. What an incredible player he's been for the Western Bulldogs. There, there have been few such consistent possession winners in the modern history of football. 39 disposals he ended up with. He had seven in that last quarter. I mentioned Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet, 27, but nine of those in the final quarter, two goals and a goal assist. He was the difference in the end. But here's the big difference. He got nine in the last quarter. McRae got seven in the last quarter. Daniel off halfback got seven in the last quarter. In contrast, the Lions midfielders and their better midfielders over the course of the night, relatively quiet when it mattered most. Hugh McCluggage, 28 disposals, but only three in the last term. Jared Lyons, 27 disposals, but only three in the last term. Dane Zorko, four touches in the last term. And really, the most constant midfield presence of Brisbane in that final quarter was Mitch Robinson who yep. was his usual lion-hearted self, pardon the pun, seven disposals in that last quarter. But at the critical moments, it was the doggies winning those contests. And uh, that, for me, was the difference in the end. And we have to add, Rowan, the final frantic two or three minutes were without Bontempelli. So you're 100% correct. The stand-up of McRae in that period of time, I thought Caleb Daniel fantastic when the whips were cracking. I'm going to ask you this question on Bailey Smith, Rowan. That kick to Shaggy, when he did it, I thought, what? That, I thought, that's not, that's a terrible if it's a choice. But Shaggy made good on it. It looked like the right kick. In the air, did you think that he sort of fluffed his lines there? Yeah, he did. Oh, he definitely did. He was trying to hit Shaggy on the chest and it, he missed him by a couple of metres. But even... I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been going in for a, to him at all. I'm not trying to be rude to Shaki, but, well, I am a bit, because Shaki had made a position closer to the behind post than the goal square, you know, uh, and he fluffed his lines in the third quarter, did Josh. Um, yeah, I just thought, that's, a, that's not the choice. I would have, if he didn't think he could carry the distance, which he couldn't, then I would have been going 20 metres out in front of the goals. But anyhow, Shaki made good on it. Well, I think uh, looking ahead to next week, I think one area for concern for the doggies would be still that forward setup. Now, it clicked last week. Uh, it struggled 
again last night. Aaron Norton's such a barometer for them, and uh, he was a bit of a non-event in this game. They definitely need to generate more goals out of those key forwards and players the like of Mitch Hannon, and they're going to have to do it without Cody Waitman. And, of course, we have doubts at this stage on Bontempelli. So a few anxious moments of the doggies in the lead up to their preliminary against Port Adelaide. You know, so you're not convinced by Dr. Bontempelli's self-diagnosis? Uh, perhaps not, no. <laughs> he made it sound all rosy, didn't he? But it'll be a, an anxious few days as the doggies assess his knee. Uh, Whiteman, that's a big loss for mine, a really big loss. He's a live wire. That goal that he kicked in the second quarter in tandem with Norton just showed how dangerous he is in the air, then back off the ground. Boy, that's a loss. And when you consider the team they're playing, will be absolutely busy at the foot of the contest up in their forward line. Cody Waitman, I think, a real vital cog in the machine. That being said, they're there, the doggies. Probably a position they felt that they were going to be in all season, top four. Let's be honest, there's no finals in Melbourne. They might have had to play it in Adelaide no matter what. So bring it on. Well, we should sign off uh, on this game by talking about Brisbane. You mentioned quite rightly that um, we shouldn't sort of focus on the going out straight sets thing. But regardless, over three years now, their finals record is 1-5. They've lost a couple of those five by less than a kick. Uh, They've also lost uh, four of those five at the Gabba. So is there something missing in their line up or have they just not had the gods smiling on them, do you think? Oh, yeah. Same problem as they've had in finals previously. Rowan, a, a little sense of schadenfreude for Essendon supporters watching Danaher do zilch after that snap goal in the first quarter? Oh, I'm not like that. No, I would have been very happy for Joe to play in a, a premiership. I'm, I'm not like that for any. Okay, but he didn't do much, did he? He didn't, no, he, he was quiet. And again, we, we spoke in the preview about the importance of both Danaher and Cameron firing. And uh, unfortunately for them, it didn't happen in the two games of the season that counted most. Where do you see Brisbane's future? Oh, good. They're not an ageing team for mine. They've got all the building blocks in place to be highly competitive again. It's funny, you know, I heard a few people after the game saying, you know, how much they missed... Rayner and Hipwood. They missed another bloke as well, didn't they? Uh, McStay. Bloody oath. Yeah. Boy, did they miss Daniel McStay. Mm. That's a big chunk out of your forward line. So, obviously, Hipwood has to wait for bulk of next season before he's back on the field. He could be back for next year's finals, which I think they'll make. But I reckon it's, it's a pretty rosy future, Rowan. I'll tell you what, just to sign off on this one, a quick comment from both of us. But we, funnily enough, we did talk in our midweek episode about how there hadn't been a lot of great semi-finals that we could remember. Uh, well, <laughs> we certainly got one with this. I, I would rank this as one of the, the better finals uh, I've seen. How do you rate it? Yeah, dibs on footy flashback in two years, Rowan. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, fair enough comment. It was an absolute classic. If you're a neutral supporter, uh, I was so nervous and I didn't have a vested interest in either team. It was fantastic viewing. And when football is like that, there is no better sport on the planet. Uh, well, thing... I'll give you an idea how good a game it was. 
We're recording this on Sunday morning, hand to heart. There's a porterhouse steak still sitting in the fridge for me to cook for dinner last night for myself. <laughs> well, maybe cook it and then watch the replay. Uh, I've already watched the final two minutes about four times, I think. Anyway, great stuff and a fitting into semi-final weekend. All right, they are both semi-finals wrapped up, analysed, uh, which leaves one segment left in this program. And uh, we're already pretty pumped and pretty fired up, but I reckon we can take it up a cog with what comes next. On Footyology, the rant of. Okay, we've had another big weekend of finals football. Saturday night couldn't have been any better, but finally these days you can always rely on something, even after the game's finished, to really, really piss you off. And boy, did I find one last night in the post-game activities going on on various networks. Do you have an idea where I'm going with this? No, but I think there's plenty of grist for the mill. You've got a few directions to head in, so I can't wait. All right, well, count me in. One, two, let them have it on three. I'm pissed off with the increasing elitism of AFL football, Finey. We had a sport which, for most of its history, prided itself about being a game for everyone, not only for all shapes and sizes, but for people of all socioeconomic groups. Now, you'll notice I used the past tense there. Why? Because I'm here to tell you that mantra these days is complete bullshit. We've spoken a lot this year about the boys club, which effectively runs the game now, the way they look after their own in terms of employment, reputation and opportunity. And it's pretty serious stuff. But if you want a trend which sums all that up beautifully, it's a nauseating circle jerk, which this season particularly has sunk to new depths. And that is the cringeworthy obsession with which elite private school, this or that AFL player attended is an absolute byword for AFL commentary. You seriously cannot get five minutes into a match broadcast anymore without hearing repeated plugs about some talented kid being a product of Xavier or Scotch or Melbourne Grammar or Geelong College. Saturday night's enthralling Brisbane Bulldogs semi was rife with it. Anytime Bailey Smith, for example, touched the football. To you, me and the footyology audience, Finey, Bailey Smith simply East Melbourne's finest mullet. To these guys, of course, he's the kid from Xavier. And so is Latham Vandermeer, apparently. And there were plenty of others. And it's not even confined to the game anymore. After the game, on Fox Footy's post-game wrap, host Eddie Maguire, apart from reminding us in about half a dozen different ways that he'd been knocked back from going to Perth, including during a post-game chat with Caleb Daniel, only a couple of minutes after the siren or one of the best finals we've seen, actually introduced newsman Tom Morris as a product of Melbourne Grammar. Cleaning up your own vomit's never fun, Finey, but I'm afraid the reaction after hearing that was purely involuntary. I'm actually seriously beginning to wonder whether these serial offenders in this regard, and we all know who they are, are getting some sort of kickback out of all this gratuitous plugging of elite private schools. More importantly, though, I'm wondering why it's only ever these few schools that get the free publicity why you never hear the same commentators bang on about young players' junior football clubs, you know, the ones that actually do the bulk of the developing of these kids, or why you never hear them say that such and such a player was a product of a high school. Rory Sloan, for example, went to Upway High School. Ever hear them say that? Did you know that Paddy Dangerfield and Travis Boak, for example, both attended Oberon High School in Geelong, Finey? 
I mean, it's pretty remarkable that two players that good came from the same relatively small government school in the same regional area. Surely that's worth a mention somewhere along the line, isn't it? But do we get it? I don't remember hearing it. And how come we never hear anything about Dustin Martin's school background? Look, Finey, I've got my own thoughts about the funding of government schools as opposed to private schools. I have this antiquated view that kids should be entitled to quality academic and sporting education, regardless of the financial status of their families. But that's a whole nother debate. And I don't begrudge families wanting to send their kids to the best resource schools they can find. But what I do get bloody annoyed about is these entitled commentators ramming the usually completely irrelevant educational background of player X or Y down our throats every 30 seconds like it's a key component of their having made the big time. Most of us adults who haven't been to school for 30 odd years realise that it's how we go about the business of life after school which makes us who we are. And frankly, we don't give a toss whether you went to Hard Knocks High or Eaton Hollow slam each other's dicks in the door grammar, particularly when we're trying to watch a classic game of AFL football. You know, that sport of which we're supposedly all a part, regardless of which old school tie was hanging around our bloody neck 30 years ago. I've got a problem with that, Robin. What is it? I think you've... I think you've uh, just given us your very best two weeks short of the grand final. <laughs> I can't that stand was it a ripper. Well, I can't stand it anymore, seriously. And if you want to see for yourself the reaction, I tweeted about it last night, and the reaction to that tweet is still going. People have had a gutful. It doesn't matter. All right. Okay. Just a couple of points on that. No, yep. I think it's worth fleshing out a couple of things. Ding, 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 ding. You brought up something very relevant, Rowan. Private schools are a business. They advertise heavily. Some of them have intentionally imported very good country footballers into their ranks in year 11 and 12. It's something Caulfield Grammar have a history of doing to impress parents and to lure other students to the school. Do we need to ask the honest question, is there some sort of, uh, well, I'm not going to say paper bag involved. Is there some sort of discount for children or for grandchildren? Are they feathering the nest here for some reason? It's a very decent question because I'll tell you what, if they were making that many references to Bunnings hardware for no reason, there'd be an inquiry, wouldn't there? These are businesses. Yeah. Good question. Well, good question. We're going to ask it uh, carefully because we're going to venture into uh, legal territory. But no, yeah. no, just posing the question. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Well, there are various ways in which you can benefit by plugging uh, certain institutions, isn't there? But uh, enough. Like, seriously, if someone involved with the broadcast hears this, I can tell you, people have had enough. Um all right, Fidey. Just one other thing, just very quickly. I reckon I'm a, a great person to have this discussion with because I don't think too many families could say this. Four kids, both daughters, private school education, Wesley College, both boys, public school education, uh, Glenora College. Why? Because it just suited their styles. Here's the interesting thing. Both girls play football, both boys don't touch a football. There was very little sport at Glenhira College. 
Uh, well, resource is definitely a problem in the government school sector. That is uh, a very interesting point. We might uh, get you to hold court on that uh, in one of our off-season shows. Sure. All right, I've got that off my chest. Uh, I'm not sure where you're going today, but I'm sure it'll be good. I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. All right, before I do the rant, let's just be upfront about this. Historically... I've never liked the Carlton Football Club. And that dislike was born out of absolute jealousy. Watching them hold sway over St Kilda in the most brutal way in the 80s, whilst winning premierships, lording it over St Kilda with regular 100-point massacres, as all St Kilda could amass were wooden spoons. This is a a separate case. Carlton's ham-fisted handling of the appointment of a new coach is further pain being inflicted, not only on fans, but now former employees of the Carlton Football Club for no other reason than this club is beholding to some old belief that they can muscle their way with a checkbook out of their current poor situation on an AFL ladder and that they are not subject to the same checks and balances of any other football team. Let's have a look at it. The Ross Lyon affair, disgraceful. Ham-fisted, well, speaking of fists, how about the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing? A president in Luke Sayers, who virtually publicly anointed Ross Lyon as coach, only to realise that members of his own board were not enamoured with Ross Lyon's performance in Fremantle. If that was the case, don't drag his name through the mud. It's not fair to Lyon to have him virtually named as Carlton coach and then being forced to go through a process that clearly was more about off-field matters than on-field matters, something that he quite fairly said he was not going to be party to. Totally unprofessional. Asked Alistair Clarkson to do the job. Absolutely the right thing to do. But when you're told no, have enough self-respect to move on. Who's the next cab off the rank? Brad Scott, unsurprisingly, a former coach, a big name with a big brother, still not a big brother, a brother still in the business. Nathan Buckley, another big name. Door slam, door slam. Carlton need to change their monogram or change their spots like a leopard, for of all things, stripes, black and white stripes, because they can look to their fierce rivals, Collingwood, as an example of how a big club swallowed their pride, went through the process, knocked back the idea of the big name signing and methodically picked out somebody that everybody's excited about taking the reins at Collingwood in McRae, the former Brisbane Premiership player. He did the hard yards at Collingwood, at Richmond, and most recently under Clarko at Hawthorne. It makes sense. And it appeals to Collingwood supporters because of the methodology behind it. I don't really care where Carlton finish on the ladder, but I do care for now some of their supporters that I call close friends. Our own producer, Rowan, Damon Jackman, he hides his light under a bushel, but he's a real Carlton fan. In what games he could attend this year, the Jackman family trudged off to the MCG or to Marvel Stadium. 
They didn't marvel at what they saw most times, but they expect more from their team. How about our great sponsor, Nick Bartels and his family? His old man was a member of the Carlton Committee at one stage. Carlton to their bootstraps. They've poured money into that club and they deserve more. And so does every other Carlton supporter out there. And David Teague, finally. An absolutely decent man who I've had the privilege of interviewing a number of times previously on radio. You couldn't get a more honest and decent member of the football fraternity treated like absolute poop by the Carlton Committee. I don't care what you do on the field, Carlton, but it won't improve until you get your act together off it. So whether it's Matheson pulling the strings, the late Richard Pratt, or the current president, Luke Sayers, who cares? Get it right for those who deserve it. Oof, that is a scorching rebuke of the Carlton Football Club. I think uh, entirely justified. I, I couldn't agree more, Finey. And I think the Collingwood comparison is a very good one. Uh, Collingwood have accepted who they are and where they are now in terms of success. And uh, they've cut their cloth accordingly. Carlton seems to have tried to do that several times. And uh, yet those powerful influences around and inside the club always seem to hold sway. And um, they just go back and forth and back and forth. And it's been this incredibly destructive circle going on now for a couple of decades. Uh, special points too. What, yeah. They could even look to the old red sash. I think there'd been a fair bit of hubris and in, in Essendon's case, very much of the opinion, I think, Essendon, that oh, we'll sort it out. Well, Essendon's Essendon, you know, we didn't win 16 premierships by accident. We'll get James Hurd back and et cetera, et cetera, or, or we'll grab John Worsfold. He's a premiership man. I think their current coach has proven to be an absolute beauty and, again, a bit of a departure from the norm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, that was a particularly good rant. And uh, special points, too, for the shout-out to our wonder producer, Damon Jackman, who I should also add is a very proud product of Lakeside Secondary College, Finey, that uh, great alma mater for um, audiovisual and media talent. So Woo! there you go. There's another little backhander for the uh, class warfare being played out in the educational ranks. All right, liked it. Good stuff. Uh, that brings us basically to the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Of course, this podcast is always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And what about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? You bet. The mighty Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I can leave that steak uncooked in the fridge and just get in the car within five kilometres from where I live and have a magnificent burger for lunch. I mean, that Nick Spartels, yeah, he wishes his team was better. Not his building team. They're brilliant. West Point Properties, he knows how to put together the right side and they are kicking goals right around Melbourne with brilliant renos and rebuilds, Rowan. And don't forget also the best sports data analysts in the business, that is Stats Insider, also proud partners of Footyology. They work with more than 15 sports across the globe. They sample a sporting event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. And uh, there's some great 
independent journalism on their site as well. All free to use at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. You can support us in various ways. There is a uh, supporter page feature wherever you're listening to this podcast. So check that out or head to footyology.com.au. Some great writing on there this week as well. And there are links to Patreon, which supports us financially. And for $7 Australian per month, you can become an official Footyology patron. We're getting more people coming on board and it really is money that all goes towards making the footyology operation better and uh, providing the sort of standard of football commentary and commentary on other topics that you deserve, which is a lot more than what you're getting in the mainstream, let me tell you. So thanks for your continued support on that score. Well, amazing weekend of footy. Hope we've summed it up adequately for you. We'll be back with the midweek preview edition next Wednesday, of course. We will be doing... Footyology final siren both Friday and Saturday night, covering off on two big preliminary finals. So make sure you look out for that live on Twitter and Facebook. Have a good uh, start of the week and we'll catch up with you in a few days tomorrow.